Welcome to the Recover Everything podcast, where we have honest discussions about everything in recovery and mental health. Here are your hosts, Christopher West and Chelsea Mooney. Enjoy. There's 23 million people struggling with addiction. Whatever your answer is. Lift the shame and stigma of addiction. Don't choose anything that will jeopardize yourself. Look, you can face this, even though you think you can't, you can. So find your own recovery story, own it, embrace it, work through it. Each and every one of us matters. Yeah, I just want to be a voice. Yeah. Yeah, somebody's listening out there and maybe needs to hear. That's what this is all about. Some hope. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Ray Barker? Ray Barker. Ray Barker. Uh, Chris West. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Recover Everything. Thank you. What do you do, Ray? Right now, I am um, going to school to uh, obtain a CDL. Oh, you're going to drive? Yeah. Like big stuff? Yeah, trucks over the road. Uh, I just want to see the open road. I want to experience the... This great country? Yeah, this, this great country. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you're an advocate? I am. And you've been in long-term recovery for? 2,856 days today. How many years is that? Seven years and some change, yeah. Ten months and some change. Wow. Let's talk about that. Okay. So you got sober in 2007, you said? 2011. 2011. Yeah, June 14th, 2011 is my uh, recovery date. Uh-huh. Uh, it's National Flag Day. So I like to refer it to as the day I waved the white flag and kind of surrendered to the fact that using is no longer an option. Where where were you born? Born in Michigan City. You raised there as well? Um, no, I've lived in Las Vegas since the first grade. So. Oh, so you you're a seasoned veteran seasoned, of this town. Seasoned veteran of Las Vegas, yeah. But I like to uh, think of myself as an Indiana boy. Okay. Um, Cubs fan. You never, you never lose that like little piece of where you actually came from. Right. I grew up in L.A. and I still, I'm like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've been here 16 years. It's always there for you, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Indiana. I, usually when someone asks me where I'm from, I say Gary, Gary Indiana. Yeah. Um, because the town that I'm from is called North Judson. Mm-hmm. And when I say North Judson to people, they're like, oh, I've never yeah. heard of that. I've said North Judson to people in Indiana that are from Indiana, and they're like, I've never heard of that. <laughs> so I usually just say Gary, Indiana. Yeah. And they're like, oh, they refer to it as the song Gary, Indiana. You come here in first grade. How long until this um, culture uh, found its way into your life? Um, well, I grew up, I have four or five uncles, you know, on my dad's side that, that, uh, you know, as a young child, I would see them drink and chew tobacco and stuff like that. And, um, I would, uh, always, you know, I looked up to them. Uh I still do. I look up to my uncles, uh, and, um, I kind of always looked at that as the being kind of cool, being cool, you know, and. I said, I always want to be like them, you know, and uh, so it didn't really start until I would say maybe 12 years old, uh, where I was, you know, drinking, trying beer and stuff like that. Sneaking it and whatnot. Sneaking it, exactly. Was it like a country aspect of it or like, were they from here? Oh, no, they're definitely Indiana. 
It was the country feel, you know, like camping. Like good old boys. Good old boys. Like you wanted to be a good old boy. Yeah, by I the campfire, yeah. you know, and uh, outside on the, you know, back tail end of their trucks and stuff like that. And uh, so, yeah, it was definitely the country feel. Just that like work hard, play hard attitude. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fair enough. So you're about 12? 12. 12 years old, I think, uh, was the first time that, you know, I actually snuck some beer or something, maybe some hard alcohol or something like that and uh but i didn't really like it at first i think my my first substance um other than alcohol was i was 14 years old and that really turned me on to the the feeling of like you know like the psychedelics like you know marijuana tc things like that kind of um it started there you know Mm -hmm. and then uh just kind of uh progressed into this like grip of Addiction, which just continued from that point all the way up until I got clean. So from 14 to how old were you when you sought out recovery? I was 32, 33, between 32 and 33. So good, 15, 16 years. I'd like to know the catalyst of like... Most of it was bad. Okay. I spent some time um, in juvenile facilities. I've spent some time in adult facility, Mm -hmm. uh, jail and things like that. By the age of, I think, 27, I had been to jail 37 times. What? Yeah. How? Many misdemeanors. Just, just you know, stuff related to my addiction. Just, you know. Running around. Getting pulled over without a license. Uh, running around with the wrong crowd. I learned my lesson. I haven't been in trouble since. Sure. Um, but, um, yeah, definitely due to my addiction, I can relate it all to that. I mm-hmm. mean, I'm not putting it all on sure. addiction. I take I responsibility. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely caused a lot of pain and time away from my family. What was the, the big one that made you change in 2011? Or I, was it just a gradual process of like, okay, I need to do this and it, and it took some time. I got out, um, I got out of prison in 98 and uh, I remember it was like two days before Thanksgiving. It was in November and um, and I just felt shell shocked, and I went really hard on uh, the drug of choice, and um, and I just remember my life not getting any better. It just continually, continuously, gotten worse from that point, ninety eight all the way up until two thousand eleven, where I was rock bottom. A good and twelve years. Good twelve years, yeah, or maybe longer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how long were you in prison for? 22 months altogether. I okay. got out for a little bit and then I went back, um, because you of missed a, it, a violation. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I missed it. I wanted to go back and see my friends. Yeah. No, but, uh, yeah, no, I went back for uh, a violation. I, um, submitted a dirty urine, urinalysis test, mm-hmm. uh, what we call UDS. Yeah. Urinalysis drug screen. And, um, and my parole officer was like, no, this is not, no, there's, there wasn't help. Like there is today, today, like treatment centers or drug courts and whatnot, drug courts, treatment centers, things like that. I mean, they're, they were out there, but they were like, you really had to look mm-hmm. and to find it. So they weren't, uh, you know, very as accessible as accessible. And so it was just like, let's, you know, just like, you know, if you think about it back in those days, that's what, that's where people who suffered from substance abuse, that was the answer for a lot of people. Jail. Uh, jail. 
Yeah. You know, and now we don't look, I like that we don't look at people that have substance abuse problems as inmates. Mm-hmm. We're kind of looking. Yeah, we're lifting the stigma. Lifting That's the part stigma. of the goal of the podcast. We're now patients. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not inmates. We're now looked at as patients. And just people. And people. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's a really good thing. It's brings hope to, you know, like people listening to your podcast because, you know, there's someone out there right now that thinks that they're, they're the only one with this problem. And, or it's, it's rare or only bad people or, or something of that nature who they might be as a person. And, and like I said, it's not, it's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. You can be a good person and have a problem mm-hmm. and get help. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so were you dry the whole time you, you were in jail? Um, no, not completely. I didn't use like frequently, but I, I remember, um, you weren't actively, yeah, you weren't, was there, you know, you weren't actively seeking, uh, treatment or or recovery or, or. no, I, I liked the feeling. I remember liking the feeling of being clean, you know, because I had used a lot of years before that time, you know, it was a good time off. Yeah, it was a good time off. Um, but I wasn't completely clean, so I don't. I didn't count that as recovery or being clean or anything yeah. like that. But, yeah. but um, so between 98 and 2011, mm-hmm. did you have any inclination of that you wanted to um, kick the habit? Yeah, I got a DUI and uh, in 2006, mm-hmm. and it was in uh, Davis County, Utah, um, near like Layton, Utah. Um, and... At that point, I knew that my using was starting to catch up to me and that, you know, these are offenses that are going to really stick out, you mm-hmm. know, like when someone looks at them, it's no longer, it might be a misdemeanor, but people are going to look at that and, well, well it's going to affect you from it's now gonna on. It's going to affect you, you know, and uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of knew at that point that, look, this is short-lived, this isn't going to last for very long, and so I had that idea in my mind, but I wasn't really committed to like, because again, I didn't know that there was help. Yeah. Up until even when I went to detox uh, here in Las Vegas, um, I didn't know there was help. I did. I thought jail was the only op, you know, option for, yeah. for that. So um, yeah, I had an idea, but I, again, you know, I was not aware of the help that was available. So what happened in 2011, or at least leading up to so uh, what what got what kicked that in your brain? Like, hey, this. So in 2011, what I, inspired you is what I'm asking. Mm-hmm. In 2011, that was the actual second time that I had been in treatment. In 2010, February the 17th of 2010, I went to uh, treatment uh, here in Las Vegas. But what made you want to go to treatment? Everything originally unmanageability in my life. I. Did somebody specifically say, hey, well, there's this, there's a different way? So I'll tell you the story. Yes, So please. I was living in um, a trailer park, and I remember using every single day, and in my mind, I wanted to stop. In my heart, I wanted sure. to stop. Yeah. But my mind said, no, you're not going to yeah. stop. You we, know, and it's kind we of. We need these chemicals to I function. Need, exactly. And uh, so I was using against my own will for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't want to, but I had to, mm-hmm. right? Kind of that struggle. And uh, so a lot, of, a lot of those nights I would go to sleep and just pray that somehow I could get out of this. You know, I'm, I'm living in this trailer and uh, I am, I am um, just living 
you know, hit to hit basically, you mm-hmm. know, and, uh, and that's no way to live. And it was embarrassing. It was, you know, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Uh, and you did a lot, I did a lot of things. Not that, a lot of meaning in that. None, you mm-hmm. know, none. Yeah. It was just, you know, the drug, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I was in a lot of pain and what happened was, um, my brother came to see me, mm-hmm. you know, my brother older came, or younger, younger, 19 months younger. Okay. Uh, his name's Charlie. He's successful. He's he's not an addict, you know. And uh, but uh, he came to see me, and uh, and he just seen the way I was living. It was I was like in sham. The whole place was in shambles. I had completely like fucked off everything. Turned this place into like a living nightmare. Mm-hmm. Like if you've seen the commercial, this is what meth does to you. Sure. Yeah. And you see the person cuddled up in a like a a fetal position, and the whole like. Their whole surrounding is like a tornado. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Okay. It literally looked like that. And when I share my story, I kind of refer to that just to give someone the idea. Yeah, just clothes and garbage. Maybe and garbage, garbage, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was that. Like, yeah. if, you, if you've if seen that commercial or billboard, go to gas stations, you see that picture, I look at that, I'm like, that was me. Yeah. You know, in the fetal position, all of that. And um, so he came to see me, and, uh, you know, he's... You know, he had that look in his eye, like kind of like confused, angry, shocked, tears, you know, and I'm like, wow. And uh, for someone that struggles with addiction, you know, you, you hurt the ones that are closest to you mm-hmm. without even realizing it, sometimes realizing it too. But he came in and, uh, and he, you know, he left and he said, you know what, I'll be here tomorrow. Just be here, mm-hmm. you know, and I knew I needed help. And so he went out and sought help for for me and um one one thing that he did is he looked up detox detox places and it went from detox to uh treatment mm-hmm. he went down to the treatment center salvation army and he just went in and pled please i need my he went in there in tears mm-hmm. please i need help for my brother he's gonna die and uh there was a long waiting list at the time to get into the treatment center and um like six months just to get it get a bed mm-hmm. Uh, and he went in there and um, begged yeah. and got me a bed. So nice brother. Yeah. Do you still live in town? He does. You see him often? Often. He's That's my great. best friend. Yeah, same with my brother. I mean, he's a, he's a rock. Isn't that a good relationship? It's like... I mean, it's... Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know if you've heard on any of the episodes, but how is, why I started this is I have a family member in active addiction. Yeah, I heard you share that. But, Sister? Uh, uh, but okay. a family member. Okay. Um, and if you're listening, listening, I hope you find some hope. Yeah, me too. Um, anyways, so he struggles with the same things I do on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. This, this person that's in our lives and, and, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a rocker. Some, something would, would male brothers close in age. And I mean, you, you play together, you, you grow up together. It's, it's not many things like it. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Kudos to him for at least for a recognizing, you know, that you needed help, me taking some steps, and you know, doing what he, you're sitting here now. Yeah, and uh, I will. I I was listening uh, to your podcast, uh, and I'm not sure the name of the person, but he was saying something like "tough love kills." Yeah, and sometimes, um, yeah. But he was like talking both. He was talking about both sides of it. Because if you're enabling them, then, you know, you're actually 
feeding them the the drug, the the option to do it, right? Um, but tough love saved my life. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's definitely different uh, perspectives, at least for that individual, which I I really won't get into, but because uh, like, I don't want to speak for anybody else. But the information that I have on on tough love is that uh, sometimes it pushes people away and then they don't get the help. But in your case, you were uh, at least cognitive enough to know, like, oh shit, I'm gonna. This means something to me. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna go with my brother to the Salvation Army, as opposed to you know, taking that tough love and saying you know fuck you. I'm gonna go. Right, right. I'm gonna lay here in my garbage. Yeah. Um, tough love is still love. That's yeah. the way I look at it. It's sure. still love. Um, but that is what it took for me to understand. Uh, it's either the drug or my relationship with my family, and life, and what they want for me, and. Uh, you know, for a long time, I lived in, in that bubble of just let me do what I want to do. Sure. Until it was just too much. Just for anybody listening, multiple pathways work. Tough love may not work on somebody else. It worked on you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kudos to that. But, and tough love, I mean, tough love is, there's so many different levels of that. There's sure. There's different levels of saying, look, I'm not going to talk to you or allow you to be in our lives that was pretty much how i got it yeah it's either you know they offered me to go to treatment so there's love there yeah. right let's go to treatment check yourself in mm-hmm. uh and if you complete we'll we'll uh we'll talk to you we'll we'll encourage you we'll be by your side but if you leave treatment then you've obviously chosen your yeah your that path over the path with your family and uh so it wasn't like rude or frightening or anything like that it was just basically giving them the ultimatum yeah they gave you the ultimatum choose recovery or you know and since i've uh, been clean i've gotten those relationships back um and they're wonderful now like my family invites me over for functions and dinners yeah. and things like that. You get that. to go to I, Thanksgiving and stuff now. I get to go to Thanksgiving and that's a good feeling. It's a good feeling to have trust I think a lot of those feelings that we get back are motivators to help us along the the, the path of recovery. Yeah, is uh, just having that feeling of trust and um, you know. So let's talk about the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. From what I hear about the Salvation Army's program, it's very militant. Like I, uh, like I wouldn't almost... say militant. I would say structured. Okay. When you think of militant, it's like. Yes, sir. Sir, no, sir. That's yes. the way I've, I've, I've people have explained it to me that it is. I, I've never been there, so I don't know. I, you you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, well, there's obviously no cussing allowed. Okay. You know things like that. You have to wear your shirt tucked in and no sagging your pants and um, wear a collared shirt during the day if you're down in the in the uh, the lobby area. Um, you know, no fraternizing with the women, and um, I mean, I've been I've been in a militant uh, environment. Environment. Um, actually, I went to boot camp before I did uh, jail time, and uh, so, um, but I can see where I can see what you're saying. So it's a religious based okay. uh, deal, you know, and then what I like to call is pack pack recovery. You Meaning, know, like pack recovery is is. Is basically if you don't want to be there, you can pack your stuff up. And oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, other treatment centers, you know, take a different route. Yeah. And they're paying uh, for their treatments a little bit more um, comfortable uh, there. They're, they have a long list 
of people to fill those beds. And not only that, um, you've you've worked in a treatment center, so you definitely have seen the other side of it where they have comfortability. Uh, people do all that they can to keep you in the building. I believe both work. Yeah. Um, if I was to say which one works better, I would say the more long-term, um, the more long-term treatment model of the longer you're in treatment, the better chance you have of staying clean. I, I believe that, whether it's a facility that you can you pay with your health insurance or pay cash or however you pay, or you wait in a line and it's state-funded or assisted, however, whatever possibility you could stay longer, mm-hmm. I think will work. For me, it was... It worked for me because it gave me a lot of things to do. I, I worked during the day, and then we went to meetings at night, had group group discussions. I had a therapist, um, and I was always busy. I didn't. I woke up at 5 a.m. in the morning and didn't get to lay down until about 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. So very little sleep. Yeah, you know, they just... Except for on the weekend. That's structure. Yeah, like Monday, Monday through Saturday you work... Or no, Monday through Friday, you have Saturday off and Sunday church. Did they give you a job at the Salvation Army? Um, you, work, you work there. They don't give you a job right out of the door. I mean, yeah. a lot of people will become like, um, I forget what they call it, soldiers for uh, for Salvation Army, where you basically, uh, you're living their lifestyle and, you know, you're actually fully engaged with like their program, mm-hmm. where, you, where they actually wear uniforms, where you're talking about it's more militant when you're sure. actually a part of the Salvation Army Corps. Than it is like militant. Yeah, it is militant where they don't allow you to smoke or anything like that. And yeah, no, it was as far as work. I I I gained work ethic. Sure, they have a program there um, where it teaches you just basically job skills. You know, showing up on time, working, taking your breaks, doing you know, doing those things, being trusted in a warehouse. How old about were you? Uh, what, while you were in the Salvation Army? I was. In February of 2007, or 2000, I'm sorry, 2010, I was 31 or 32, I think. I'm okay. 42 now, so if you think 2010. I, I've always wasn't, you know, too afraid to work, um, but using eventually got into the way. Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. So you're in the Salvation Army for, you know, a little while. You're learning these life skills. You're learning mm-hmm. these work skills. Uh, and then what? Well, okay, so the first time was in 2010. Yeah. I didn't listen to any of the suggestions that were given to me the first time I was in treatment. Um, so I went out, and I stayed clean for about maybe a month, and then I used again. Mm-hmm. I don't call it a relapse. I call it using again because I didn't have a program that I could lean into or utilize. So it was, it was I used again, and uh, I stayed out for another year, and I didn't come back until... My now original clean date is 6 14, 2011. Mm-hmm. And I actually went back to treatment again. Uh, did the exact same program. Program didn't change. I just, this time I worked it. I, uh, I was, uh, I went to Iowa after. I remember going to Iowa, living with some family members there um, as soon as I got out of treatment. And until um, about six months, seven months clean, I came back to Las Vegas. Uh, this is after treatment and went into sober living. And slept on a garage floor for about 30 days before I could find some work and uh, went to meetings. Let's talk about sober living because, mm-hmm. I mean, on the show we have a lot of people that, you know, run foundations, run companies, 
doctors. There haven't been too many people that have talked about what it's like to live in a sober house, mm-hmm. like the process of the process of finding one, uh, all of it. I would really like to know your uh, perspective on on sober living. Sober living is, I would say, you know, a very good, great way of starting a path that will work for you um, if you're willing to follow direction. Um, I went to sober living, I would say, was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't hear that often. Oh, yeah. It was for me. I was in a, uh, a sober living home called the Frog House. It's, it's here in it's town? It's pretty known. Yeah, here in town. It's pretty known. Um, and uh, the gentleman there uh, that runs still to this day gave me a, a chance uh, and basically... Um, you know, so as long as you go to meetings and you're looking for work and you're going to meetings, you can stay here. He he just seen something in me. I basically told him I'll clean up, pick up trash, dog poop in the backyard type deal, yeah. <laughs> hard work. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't do a lot of that. I, I mean, I did do chores, but mostly what they what he wanted from me um, was that I attended meetings and that I was present. And um, when we had house meetings, I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but it taught me uh, things like waking up and not sleeping in. Okay. I already had that done with Salvation Army, so sure. it wasn't too hard. You were conditioned to wake up at 7, 30, believe, 8 o'clock in the morning. Exactly. But believe me, when I got out of treatment, I wanted to sleep in. I was yeah. like ready. I was like, oh, my God, 5 o'clock wake up mornings every day. <laughs> I wanted to sleep in, but, you know, they kept me on my toes. And they wake up, get up, get out of the house for a You need the whole make your bed. Uh, make your bed. Do, you know, you know, do just, your chore, whatever your chore was assigned, either the dishes or mopping the floors or, um, you know, putting things away or whatever it was. And and then get out and, uh, you know, go to a meeting. They give you a meeting list. You take to your meetings, have those signed. And um, they would actually give you a list to a, a meeting, not a meeting uh, sheet, but a um, job application sheet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like who may who, who may be looking to hire you? Yeah. The Frog House? Yeah. If I say the Frog House anywhere, they know it's very reputable. There's lots of questions you can ask when going into sober living. Uh, that just you do know. a little bit of research. Because some people are just so desperate to have a roof over their head. They'll yeah. do anything. And they'll just go with the first person. And it's kind of like treatment. You yeah. know, you, oh, I'll, just, I'll just go because I don't have anywhere else to, to, go. to go. Exactly. All right. That's so, a good subject. Yeah. That is. Because a lot of people, you know, that's a lot. Of, that's a big question. A lot of people ask, "How? What sober living do I go with?" You know, yeah. If they're affiliated with twelve-step uh, programs, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. If they're affiliated with, um, you know, maybe a church or something like that, where they're, you know, continuously going to that church, they show up. Things like that, just things that engage the structured person. Uh, mm-hmm. activities and yeah. in, in, in lifestyle. Not a flop house. Yeah. Anything, you're not just sitting there on your time and doing nothing. That's what a flop house is. It's a place where they don't make you do anything. Basically, you're paying, you're staying there, and uh, you're... you're uh, you got like seven people in a two-bedroom house. Right. <laughs> exactly. How long were you in sober living for? Sober living all the way, I think, let me think back. It was about six months, maybe a little bit longer, and then I got a job, and... Uh, um, it was full time. I was working, and 
I'm, I had the ability to move in with someone that was in recovery. That's a good thing about recovery here in Las Vegas is that we're just a close knit. It is a very close knit. Yeah, yeah, family. When I when I saw you the other day at Jimmy Kimmel, two people that I work with were like, "How do you know Ray?" <laughs> yeah. Like, How do you show. know that I know Ray? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was odd because I was thinking I was thinking about. Uh, touching touching base with you uh, mm. about your podcast uh, because I'd seen it on Instagram. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't know if you were in recovery or nah. anything like that. I didn't know the story. I was just like kind of interested. And I seen you, I was like, hey. And then as we were walking out, I was like, hey, I want to be on your podcast. Give me yeah. on your podcast. So uh, I thought that was just like. It was nice. Yeah, it, it was made nice me feel thing. a little bit famous in the moment. Right? Because there's a group of people, oh, and yeah, you're like, right hey, right. let me be on your podcast. And then I saw everybody look at me like, who's that guy? Right. And I was like, sweet. Yes. Anyways. Yeah. So you, you were in sober living for six months. Did mm -hmm. you have your fam like family support this whole time? Not at that time. Not no, at that time. Not at that time. They were right. still kind of waiting, oh, yeah. testing the waters. Oh, to yeah. See. Oh, yeah. 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 It was... Uh, I, I, I've heard you say this before so many times that you're not going to continue and you're going to stay clean. It's time to prove. So about a year, a year clean was when um, my family showed up at, well, it was my brother uh, showed up at my one year anniversary. Uh, and that's when it started to click for the rest of your family. For me. Yeah. And, and uh, my family and I, and, uh, and just from there, I really started to take it serious. Like, this is what I want. I want people to show up when things are going good for me and it feels better to have that than so the... So it took a good year for for you to um, enjoy being clean. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Well, I wouldn't say enjoy being clean. I would say enjoy the company of my family. Oh, having man. their support. Yeah. Having their support and... Uh, not saying I didn't have support during that year, but um, I I did have conversations with them and things like that. And but, but they were hesitant. A they were bit. they were just kind of let's see, let's yeah. you know, let's, not that they didn't love you, but they were just like, all right, actions speak louder than words, yeah. you know, and, which is understandable. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I my first year was amazing. Mm -hmm. my, I remember my first year. It was. And something that I'll never forget. All Every, 365 days. All 365 <laughs> days. And uh, the interactions with the different people and the relationships that have grown, some that I've lost, some people that have passed. Um, you know, uh, my mom passed uh, in 2015. And, uh, Sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, she was my rock, mm -hmm. you know, my best friend. And uh, that was a no matter what situation for me. Like, don't use no matter what, even though you're... Your mind tells you, oh, let's just throw it all away. Because mom. Because mom's no longer, you know. Yeah. And uh, But I had support. I had a program and a mentor. And I utilized all that. And, and that's when I started right around then is when I started working in treatment with you. Okay. Yeah. And that whole experience, like. We won't say where no, we were. No, it's, but yeah, we can talk about working yeah, there. Yeah. That whole experience for me um, at that facility was a. A God shot. What do you mean? Uh, basically, God intervened for me. Like my higher power intervened and said, "Look, this is a bad time. You just lost your mom, um, and let me let me open the doors for you." Oh, really? And uh, went from working actually in this building uh, to going to that facility. With I worked in this building um, with another company. The another, one that we're currently in. Now? Yeah, another treatment center. If we're not saying names, I can say names. I don't know. 
Um, it's up to you. I don't. But it's and they're actually here under a different name. In this actual building that we're in now. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So you knew exactly where we were. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Not, I mean, there's different suites. Sure. It was in the one in the front. It's that's on, hilarious. Yeah. So I, I uh, you were working for them first for a house manager. I was a house manager for them. Um, for about nine months, and that's when my mom got sick, mm-hmm. and uh, and I was working a grave shift, and I wanted to, I needed day shift bad, I needed day or swing bad. The grave wasn't working for me. It's um, a rough gig. It is, and uh, so I went from, you know, I went and uh, applied over at the facility we were at, and I, I got a call back right away, and um, I put in my two weeks here. And, uh, and then I started working there and at that time, that's when, during that whole transition, my mom had passed. Mm -hmm. So June, June 1st, my mom passed away. I was still working for the company here. And, uh, and then July the 15th, I started working over there and I went from, you know, engaging with 10 to 15, uh, patients to 120. Yeah. You know, and, 220 sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, that, it really helped me deal with the loss. Okay. Like it took my mind completely off of it. Because the, because of the environment? Because of... I was helping someone. Okay. Because I got the opportunity to actually see myself in someone else, you know, see myself in someone else's uh, situation, yeah. you know, and like kind of like a mirror. I, I yeah. look exactly like that over three years ago, you yeah. know, and uh, and to be able to offer my experiences through communicating that, um, it just, it, it healed. It healed me. It's not gone. I still yeah, miss sure. my mom every yeah. day. But uh I don't use, and uh, but I've learned by helping someone else, and I and I truly mean this by helping someone else. Really, is the therapeutic uh, thing that we're the service part of. Oh uh, my gosh, yes, the service part is is so big. It's so big, you know, kind of like you're being a service. I bet you it feels good to get this out. You know, it's a funny thing because I'm really interested in the media aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the subject matter is important to me as well. Um, but I don't ever think of it as service. It's just something I like to do. And people say this to me from time to time, like, oh, you're doing really good things. You're really helping. And it's, it's hard for me to, to accept that. I'm never going to like actively be like, oh, I help people. I just do podcasts and I mess with, uh, audio files, whatever happens after that. If it helps people, then it's just a bonus for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even the idea, I think the thought of it possibly helping someone is a good feeling, either subconsciously yeah. or consciously inside. And and you get to leave and think, wow, that that was changing or moving. And yeah. it could have possibly reached someone that that is listening. And uh, yeah, that's why I love service. I love being able to be in the position that I'm not only one clean but I'm responsible today and I can be an example to someone that is looking in the direction, in the direction of me and yeah. looking and say, hey, well, I wonder how he does that. And I can tell him. And how often does that happen where somebody asks you, um, you know, for help or for at least guidance or. Um, 
I'm an example of recovery, I would say daily. Mm-hmm. I would say, you know, I I can Do you still work within the community to, today? Um, I work with men, take them through a program of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a service in that way. Taking someone to a meeting or um So you, how long have you been out of the treatment I was center? Laid off over there. They they downsized in their facilities. So yeah, I I heard this was happening. Uh, so it was like what six months ago or three no, months ago? No, just about a month and a half ago. Two months. What was it? Because I was a part of the first round two years ago when they did it. Oh really? That first kickoff. They I think they did twenty seven people in one day. Yeah, my last day was February ten. So two years before that, or a year before that, is when I got let go. Oh really? Yeah, I mean they were cool about it, I guess. Yeah, they were cool <laughs> with me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just went. I just went to another place. Yeah, Cook, yeah I cooking is a good that. skill. <laughs> I could have done that too, but I kind of needed a break. I get it. Yeah, kind of needed a need a break, and I and I'm not. I the reason why I'm getting into trucking school is I don't. I want to try something different that's challenging, uh, just so that you know. And who knows if I'm going to be successful? But I have an opportunity to learn, and you know, push myself, I want to do that. That I think there's something to say about, you know, uh, and people may disagree with this, but you got how many years uh, now? Seven years. Seven years. Mm -hmm. Coming up on, uh, in June, I'll have eight. You do your program, you know, you take your path, for for example, you, you, you do a lot of service. I think there's something to say about Okay, now I feel like I can do something that's not recovery related. Mm-hmm. That I can and expand my horizons and still keep, you know, this personal journey going, but don't have to be in the world 24/7. Right. I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. I I know a couple people that have successfully branched out and it's not that they don't use the tools that they learned while, you know, in in the program or in a program or down whatever path, but the, now they just they have other interests. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting thing about recovery is that we, there's no, there's no limit on what we can do when we're not using. Yeah. Like, I believe, um, you know, addicts there, we are some of the most talented, most loving people when we're not using um, on earth. Like we'll take off the shirt off our back to give to the next person mm-hmm. when we're clean and and we're smart people. When we get clean, we can go places and do things. There's so many different things that I've been able to do since I've been clean and places I've been just that you may not have gone. Would to. have never people that I've met that I've never would have never met. You know, uh, I met Mike Tyson. I met. Uh, I remember when he was there. I met Mike Tyson. <laughs> yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. That day. Um, that was Christmas. Yeah. That was Christmas. That's like right before I got laid off. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're like talking about, oh, really? Laid off? That's not a good word. I don't like being laid off. No. I was, I was kind of excited when they let me go. Uh, I completely agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess there was some joy behind that. But uh, yeah, again, I would have never met him. Um, I've, I've been to Florida. I've been to... Uh, Let's talk about Florida. Oh, my God. So, so it was a... You you tell me what the what the event was called. It was a world convention, world convention, and basically um, 
for twelve without step saying, without saying the the name of the okay, the enough. fellowship or yeah, the yeah. program, but it was a uh, if I world convention. 37. Basically, what it is, is uh, every four years, they pick a destination around the world and they go to that and that whole fellowship shows up to support um, sharing the message of recovery. So it's a lot of speaker meetings. Mm -hmm. Basically, uh, speakers share for an hour and there's huge crowds and, uh, and there's a lot of fellowshipping and, you know, meeting new people from, you know, different Pakistan and, you know, different places and China and um, I hear the Middle East has got a huge recovery uh, huge, community. Huge. You, yeah, they're like rooms of hundreds of people. You know, I've, I've never been to one, but I've heard that it's like amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, but yeah, it's you know, recovery is all over the world, and uh, and yeah, I'm just fortunate to be able to have that capability and that ability to to be a part of it. So we won't say the name of a certain program, mm -hmm. but the, this certain program uh, sticks to its traditions, yeah. let's say. Yeah. Um, I'm a proud member. I can say that I'm a proud member of a 12-step program. Okay. And then along those lines, I, without... Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. I'm just curious on what those traditions mean to you and why, what, makes you, what makes you take them seriously. There has to be a safe place to talk about things without bringing up um the identity of someone you know who may be in recovery so when we're speaking about uh you know an anonymity yeah um it kind of makes it more uh attractive to the person that is not completely open about what it they do because it goes back and forth on the on, on this show where you know people talk about um, struggling with with anonymity mm -hmm. and then that's a hard word to say yeah um, they struggle with that and and I've had guests say they would like to come on and then ask a sponsor or somebody and they're they tell them they shouldn't because of that an anonymity or, or tradition and whatnot their story should be kept to themselves or or whatnot, and then on the opposite side, there are a growing number of people who feel that it's not only beneficial, but well, I guess the word is beneficial to tell your story and to kind of throw that in anonymity to the wayside. Not maybe not necessarily the traditions, but at least the this is who I am, and this is what's happened to me, and this is what I feel. Um, I've spoken publicly uh, in circumstances where you know that comes up. But there's ways to respect anonymity and still carry the message, um, you know, just by not naming the facility. That's sure. practicing. I mean, not the facility, but the program is practicing anonymity. Um, I talked to my mentor last night about mm -hmm. coming on the podcast, and he said, you know, uh, you can say that you're a proud member of a 12-step program. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to go into the specifics of what program. Um, which but, I respect that. I, I think that's decent. Yeah. yeah. They're out there. Yeah. I mean, because it, it could stop someone from going to that fellowship or another fellowship. Uh, if they decide that, you know, this sounds like a thing that I, I could check into. Um, he says it works uh, and he's seven years, some clean. Let me go see if I can find something out. And by naming that 
program could stop them from going to another program. Okay. That's the 12 steps. You see what I'm saying? So, sure. So anonymity is important uh, in that way, not to, uh, you know, misguide someone saying this is the only program that works. No, yeah. um, but Obviously, the, it's whatever keeps you alive. Whatever keeps you alive. Exactly. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good conversation. Yeah. Um, Florida. Florida. Beautiful place. Oh, my God. Oh, my tell God. Me, tell me about this event. Other than, you know, over 20,000, 21,000, maybe more. What made you interested in going? Just the, it seems like Coachella for sober people. <laughs> kind of was. Yeah. Um, they had music and stuff like that. But it was uh, it was just the the dynamic of how they present it and what goes on there that attracted me to going and the fact that it only happens once every four years every four years the next one's in brazil in 2021 i believe which may be a lot harder to get to which may be hard, but if you save your money you can you can get to it yeah. um but uh it's just a beautiful thing you see all these different people and different ethnic races and uh ethnic backgrounds and things like that and different places you get to meet people and it just the vibe the whole vibe it was just every day. It was like it's like God was sitting next. How, to me. How, how many days were you there? Uh, we were there in Florida a week, okay, or maybe longer. I think maybe yeah, seven days, maybe something like that. Yeah, it was spent some good time there. Yeah, yeah, we went sightseeing and we did uh, Ripley's. Believe it or not, um, we went to uh, Disney World. Probably the most amazing thing. That's happened to me since I've been clean is being able to be a part of that. Yeah, it was great. And that was last year. That was last year, yeah, September. Yeah, that was not too long ago. Mm -mm. It was fun. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, I just I just want to talk about you know uh, now that we've gone through some of me, you know, for the for the person that's listening, you know, if you're know if you know someone who's struggling with addiction or you're that person that's struggling. Uh, in addiction, um, and you just don't know the direction you want to go, um, I would suggest telling someone and seeing what they say, telling another person and, you know, reaching out to someone, not keeping it bottled in, um, because I think that's the hardest thing is opening our mouths and asking for help. Okay. You know, getting getting to that point where you, you didn't even get a chance to, I mean, you were lucky enough to have Somebody asked for you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's, so, the, that's the thing. If I didn't have that person. Uh, you may have never. I may have never gotten clean. I may have. Who knows where I would be right now. Um, but if you're that person, there's there's help out there. There's, there's websites that you can check. Um, just reach out to someone. Ask someone for some help. And, um, and then, you know, take that first step and, and don't beat yourself up and um, don't be ashamed of your past and what you've done. Let those things go um, and try to uh, engage in some kind of recovery, whether it's the 12 steps or, you know, central Christian church. I know they have a great program. I mean, there's all there's types. countless, there's they're countless things refuge, that you can do. Refuge. I mean, there's so many different smart. things. Smart recovery. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that you can find recovery, and you know what? And honestly, I tried all of those when I when I was my first year. Um, 
as soon as I got back from Iowa, I was in, I was in a lot of those. You're meditating. Meditation is big, you know. Meditation is good. That that's refuge, right? Refuge does that. I mean, a lot of different places do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we say pray and meditate, but I mean, they so they're like their primary. Thing they're is, Buddhist. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I that's great. That's great stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, yoga, whatever you got to do. And yeah, exactly. Whatever you got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you actually meditate? I meditate. I meditate uh, when I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's frequent. Okay. So I don't actually, you know, I want to get into the, the, the realm of where I'm actually giving my time to the meditation rather than only when I get anxiety, I meditate. I understand what of, you're saying. Yeah. It's kind of a different dynamic. Meditating when there's not a, um, dire situation. Exactly. Uh, but what I, I will, I will tell you this is that, uh, I've always struggled with anxiety and panic attacks. And as since I was young Same here. and, uh, yeah, so I know the feeling of impending doom, heart yeah. racing, hands sweaty, feeling like you're almost going to have a heart attack or die. Yeah. Right. And, uh, so I, and I still get those yeah, and same. not as frequent. Um, and, but meditation snaps me right out of it. Really? Someone suggested to me one day and they said, you know, when you feel that way, um, turn, turn on some yoga music and try listening to that or meditation music. I, I, I did it and it snapped me like out of it within seconds. Like that feeling that sure, like everything is speeding up. And I would just say, you know, uh, go on YouTube and pick up some, Yoga. Yoga. You know, or ask Siri. Elevator music. Ask Siri to play something, <laughs> and I do it to this day. Siri, play some yoga music, and she'll, here you go, get into the mood. And some very resonant bells. Mm-hmm. Ocean, <laughs> yeah. outside sounds, things like that. And I'm literally, I could be doing cooking breakfast or making, uh, cleaning my room or something, and I play it, and I'm in, in that panic mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I turn that on, and it takes me right out of it, literally. And it's like. Wow, that's medicine. Yeah. You know, with whatever works. Yeah. I mean, what So I have panic attacks and I would I would struggle like why is this happening? Mm-hmm. What is what is going on? And and be scared. So what I learned to do is just to lean right into it. Like if I'm feeling it, just feel it. Let it burn for a little while and then it'll pass. That's the worst. I don't I mean, it works for me. Yeah. Yeah. You so you're not meditating? I mean, I meditate when I'm not having panic attacks. But if I have a panic attack... Have you ever tried it? Yeah. I mean, if I sit there and and my heart's racing, I feel like I'm going to... If I sit, Mm -hmm. it feels like I'm falling in a black hole. It feels worse. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So I just kind of like... I get up and I pace for a minute. And I I lean into it and, and I analyze, okay, what's going on right now? Why is this happening? Can we Can we think of any triggers or can we calculate this you know what one plus one equaled panic attack so that i can as opposed to that's so hard to do I, it just, it just happens to me i could be tying my shoe no nah, same I mean, same like, thing yeah like I, i'll be watching it's TV. a part of who we are it's just like you know uh, for me what i i've never tried to analyze it because when i'm analyzing it it makes it worse I'm oh like, yeah Whoa, you know, and I'm just starting the panic attack starts to uh, be more, you know, and so I would agree with that. 
when I originally had him and analyzed it, it was like a fear-based analyze. Like, oh my God, what's going on? As opposed to now where I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this way. There must be a reason. And if there's not, uh, then there's no reason to freak out other than just like letting it pass. Mm -hmm. Just let it do its thing. It's not going to last forever. Right. For me, those seconds are, it's painful. So like letting it yeah, for me play it. play out sometimes fifteen minutes. If I don't, if I don't, if I didn't have meditation, it would be I would be I wouldn't come out of the house. I'd be just well, the, terrified. The first couple of panic attacks I had lasted three months. It was like three months of straight panic attacks. Whoa! Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was when I was working at the facility. Yeah, it was when I had my first one. Yeah, and uh. I thought that, I mean, I went to doctors and they're like, no, you know, this is, you're just that kind of dude. Like you have one and, it, and, it, and it's like a. They didn't try to prescribe you medication? Yeah, sure they did. Um, but it was just like a, a cascading effect that once I had that first one, I mean, it, it triggered like muscle stuff. It triggered a ton of other things. Oh, really? That lot, and, it, and it took about a good three months for me to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be real careful with panic attacks. If I, again, if I fight them, I mean, it's, there goes three months of my life. Yeah. It seems like, seems like what you're describing is like, uh, um, have you been through trauma? I'm sure I have. Okay. I just don't. PTSD type deal because you're saying it's like three months. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've experienced anxiety through my whole life, you know, like. Sure. Um, I have small panic attacks and they're fine, but I have I have big ones like that every last for three months. Wow. Yeah, I think the last one was the summer of 2017. Summer of 2017, and they finally died down around Christmas. So it was like August, September, October, yeah. and then November kind of started getting. But I'm a new person after those three months. Every time, I'm definitely not the same dude I was when we when we worked together. Right. I mean, you know. In, in some ways, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's... It's life. It is. And it's... The the thing is that do we sit in it? You know, do it... I couldn't imagine being in your shoes in that kind of situation where it lasts. I mean, know? you just... and, and I literally just, feel like I'm on the edge of like a heart attack. Like, yeah, same. So, so bad. Like, does, did you have your checked your vitals? Is it that bad? Is it like your blood? You know, man, I go to the doctor and they try, they do the EKG and... Uh, You're all good? Yeah, I mean, it's just how my body reacts to that level of stress. I mean, it's it's just resonant is how I feel. Okay, like I have the big panic deck, and then it's like a burst of painful negative energy that it just takes that long. After again, I've I've had it happen two or three times over the last five years. By now, the third, fourth time it's happened, it's like okay, I know it's happening. Mm-hmm. So it gets less and less. The amount, you know, it went from three months to, you know, maybe two to this last time was still around two and a half months. But, um, but I didn't, I didn't go as deep and dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first, first time it happened where I was like, like I said, three months of waking up being like the world doesn't look right. My muscles hurt. My heart's racing. Uh, I, I'm confused as well, you know, uh, every day. And just being okay, I'm I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to give up on this life. So mm-hmm. just wait it out. <laughs> just wait it out. And, I, and you obviously take steps. You go to therapy. You try to you try to do some, you know, like you said, yoga, exercise, eat right. Take all the steps you can possibly take to feel better. Because what else are you going to do? Exercise. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. That is a big one. Yeah. That is a big one for me. It relieves so much stress and anxiety that now I very rarely experience anxiety attacks because I've just been ex- exercising. Yeah. I ride my bike a lot, uh, real late at night. It's it's like how I... It's therapeutic. Yeah. I, I go at like 1130. You're out there in the elements experiencing the wind. And yeah. Just a bike and my phone and headphones and nothing else. And I just that's ride amazing. around. Yeah. I couldn't get on a motorcycle. No, no, it's not a motorcycle. Oh, just your regular bike. Yeah, just a oh, regular okay. bike. Just oh, a, okay. a bicycle. Oh, I can do that. <laughs> I can ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> try try meditation. I, I, I would suggest just maybe listening to, you don't have to sit down or like close your eyes or anything. I, for me, at least. I just listen. As soon as I hear it, as soon as it goes through my ear and sure. my brain processes it, and it, I think it just says, "Oh, okay, it's not." It's, I think my my brain is saying something's wrong, you know, and and uh, and I'm developing this anxiety as a just from a thought that sure. may have crossed my mind or a dream or something like that. But as soon as I listen to music and or that meditation, not music, but meditation, it snaps me right out of it. Yeah, see, I'm the opposite now. So like the bike rides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my form of meditation is, I'd say, one out of every. Say I ride my bike five times a week. Yeah. One of those days, I'll do it with no music, no headphones, just my mind. And just force myself to be in my own head mm-hmm. uh, while doing some type of exercise. Mm. And uh, I think that's that helps me. When you notice yeah. a difference yeah. and it works for you, yeah, go exactly. with it. Exactly. Go with it. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know why, yeah. but... It, it, I feel like I, every once in a while I, I need to be, again, it's it's about me leaning into it as opposed to wanting to, most of the time I have to distract myself just like you. Yeah. You know, with, with the, with the That's music. a form of leaning into it too. Like I, turning I on some meditation music. I completely agree. Yeah. It's, it's whatever you need to get to the next moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's say when you're in pain, lean into it and then you learn, you learn how to, uh, you know, kind of get into the solution of how, how to fix it. Yeah. Any lasting, any lasting words for the audience? Hey, I love being here. Thanks. If no one's told you that they love you today, I do. Ray loves you. Ray loves you. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. Yeah. on all the major streaming platforms iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher give us a rating on that iTunes Apple Podcast thing we uh, need them follow us on social media at Recover Everything go to our website recovereverything.com to tell us a story uh, reach out to us we'd love to hear from you